everybody and welcome to another episode of Into the Fogcast podcast. This week we have another guest. So please guest tell us who you are and who you mean. Hello, my name is Peppa Pigsaw. I mean Pyramid Head, Nemesis, and Wesker. I am a very old Dead by Daylight player. I've actually been playing since uh, 2016. I even got to see part of the closed beta back during 2015 because my father was part of the beta. I'm here today to talk about Pyramid Head, and it's a pleasure to be here. So in the past, we have spoken to someone called Grizzer K about how they play such an oppressive killer who has so much power. But now that the meta in DBD has changed, we're revisiting the Executioner again. So what made you start playing this killer? Well, to be honest, um, I have actually been playing Pyramid Head since the PTB where he first came out. So, um, well, for starters, I should say that I am a massive Silent Hill fan. I love the series. I love the games. Uh, my father was a huge fan of the series as well. So even when I was like a little kid, I saw a lot of it growing up. Uh, same goes for Resident Evil. They are both really, really passionate places for me in the gaming sphere, if you will. Um, so when I saw the re- reveal for the anniversary, you know, most people would assume that I'd be really excited. But I was actually uh, very upset because, you know, with so many times over the years konami would come out and say that they're doing something silent hill related and it would just be a pachinko machine you know you start to become kind of bitter about that as a while so going into the ptb was actually really scary for me it was very apprehensive about trying it since i am such a big fan of the series but um you know when i first played those couple of matches something just kind of clicked in my head when i was using punishment of the damned and i've just been absolutely hooked ever since it's so immensely satisfying to hit survivors through walls and there's so much weight in the animations and how the attack feels uh, just er- everything about it i fell in love with him as soon as i played him on the ptb and it really helps that his power is so demanding from a player like it has that razor's edge to it in a trial so it's it's just an insanely difficult attack to master but when it's used well it's so incredibly strong and oppressive so honestly, it comes from a mix of nostalgia and just how much I love his gameplay as a character. So thanks again for agreeing to come in and do this um, interview with us, uh, Peppa Pig. So it's great to have you here. We really appreciate it when people take times out of their busy schedules to come and do this with us. Um, so let's start with your build. There's many kinds of builds out there from the, like, your efficient builds, fun builds, and the builds that people like to run on a regular basis. So let's talk about your builds. What works for you and why do you run it? Well, I, I should probably state before I talk about the build that is my go-to build that uh, I don't usually take Dead by Daylight pub matches seriously. Most of the time I have music on in the background. I'm completely deaf while playing this game. So my usual build is very, very casual in a sense. Um, I run Infectious Fright, Lethal Pursuer, Monitor and Abuse, and Shadowborn. That is my go-to build for most of my matches. Um, Sometimes I'll swap out Shadowborn for Save the Best for Last if I get a bunch of groups back-to-back who do nothing but run in a straight line, hold W. Um, But generally, that is my go-to build. I love Infectious because of the information it gives for me on a down. It pairs really well with Monitor, which I can go more in-depth to um later on when we get into 
uh, perks that I do recommend running on him. And I'm just a massive Shadowborn addict. So eh, I run Shadowborn on all of my mains. I run Shadowborn on Wesker. I run it on Nemesis. I run it on Pyramid Head. It, Shadowborn is just one of those perks that I will not take out of my loadout no matter what. Um, my other build is if I'm feeling a bit more serious, if I actually want to uh, win my matches, because while my casual build does still win me a good fair chunk of my matches, um, it, like I said, it's it's not exactly the most effective of a build. Um, but the other one that I usually run is uh, Plaything, Pentimento, Lethal Pursuer, and Save the Best for Last. You know, I got a bit of stall in there, but I still have enough um, chase perks in that build to keep me happy. I am a very chase-oriented player, so a lot of my builds have a very heavy emphasis on chases. And a lot of my perk picks for my killers and characters definitely reflect that. So there are currently 106 killer perks in the game, in which 30 come from licensed killers. Because you have to buy these killers, not everyone's going to own them. So whether they're a new player or maybe a killer just isn't worth it based on their playstyle, power, or perks that they have. So I want to take this time to focus on the 76 perks that are available to everybody. Do you have any builds you can share that are worth running? Well, like like I said before, um, Monitor and Infectious are definitely really, really good perks on him specifically. And it's really great that they are perks that come from original killers. You know, Plague has Infectious and Doctor has Monitor and Abuse. So one, one of the great things about Infectious, and in my opinion, Infectious is probably like the perk for Pyramid Head, is that part of, part of the skill curve of learning how to play Pyramid Head is knowing when and where to cage people. Infectious essentially does all of that for you. you. You hit someone with your power, you down them. If people scream nearby, you know, cage that survivor, continue the chase. It's just such a massive massive thing for pyramid head especially with how his power works and how it affects the match uh, monitor i actually really like because it does one of two things um of course not only does it lower your terror radius so while you're on a patrol it's a lot harder for people to kind of react to you coming which really does help with you know the shift w warriors a lot um it also combos really well with infectious because how Infectious works is Infectious works as soon as you get that down, whereas with Monitor, that effect doesn't go away until shortly after a chase ends, because the game has to essentially catch up and recognize that the chase ended. So in chase, you have this you know massive terror radius because of Monitor, and as soon as you know you get that down, it's this massive AOE blast of information that tells you exactly where to go and what you need to do after a down. Um, it's it's just such a good combo. I'm surprised that more people don't run it. I'm surprised more Wesker players don't run it. If I'm being honest, um, but those two perks definitely, I would say, it should be tried at least if you want to play more Pyramid Head. Uh, outside of that, I think that people should really just find what works for them, given their playstyle. Uh, one of the problems with Pyramid Head is that he doesn't have a ton of perk variety, especially with players like me who focus more on his M2s. 
Because mo- most of my hits in a trial come from Punishment of the Damned. So that's, you know, that's already a huge chunk of perks that I won't get much value out of, personally. And since cages also deny hooking perks, both for survivors and you, you know, that's that's another huge chunk of the um, perk roster that just isn't available to you. You know, you can't have your pop, your pain resonance, um, your barbecue, n- none of that. It It's not a consistent thing to carry on him, and there's always that kind of risk that comes into trying to pick perks for Pyramid Head. Um, so information is definitely one of his like best styles of perks, I guess would be the way to put it. You know, anything that tells you where you need to go to essentially keep that ball rolling and that pressure going as you were playing through the trial is really, really good, especially if they're aura reading perks because of how often he can hit through walls. Or or reading perks are by far some of the best perks you can get on him. So really, it's just figuring out how you want to play him and then basing the perks that are for you off that. If you focus more on M1s and don't really go for a lot of M2s, then yeah, it opens up the door for things like Sloppy Butcher or Jolt. But you know, if you play more like me and you most of your hits come from Punishment of the Damned, then you know, you are limited on those perks drastically. So there are occasions where even those who have like a really big play to win kind of mentality, like a really competitive um, streak in them, sometimes you just want to have a game with a less than optimal build, whether it's to give yourself an intentional disadvantage because you just fancy a challenge or to have some fun with the survivors with like a gimmicky meme build. Uh, could you share with us any such meme or gimmicky builds or sort of like intentionally debilitating builds that you can think of? Um, honestly, I, I think the casual build that I mentioned earlier kind of is my gimmicky build in a way. It, Like I said before, it's not the greatest build you can run. It's just something that is focused on keeping me in chases because that is my favorite part of the game. It's like, you know, I'm running Shadowborn in Monitor and Abuse. I am pretty much cutting out an entire part of monitor just to get my shadowborn fix um you know it's still effective because pyramid head is kind of in that interesting spot where he doesn't really need stall on him um but i have seen a lot of people try some gimmicky stuff with him like i know that it is kind of popular for people to try a no terror radius build and they try to get cheeky hits that that are on survivors that are just sitting on a gen completely unaware that you're there uh so there are some options for pyramid head to have that sort of gimmicky more fun oriented play style but honestly i don't feel like he has a lot given just how his kit plays so like I said, you can do the whole zero terror radius thing, but outside of that, nothing really comes to mind. Add-ons are very important for killers, as it can really change the way the game is played. There are a few killers out there that either don't use them for various reasons, or just stick with anything based on what they've got available to them at, at hand. So of all the add-ons available to you, what would you run, what would you recommend, and what would you avoid? Uh... As I'm sure everyone is immensely surprised, uh, range is his best. It's undisputably his best. Every Pyramid Head player will just tell you range is the best add-ons. Burning Man painting, Black Strap, Wax Doll, those are his best add-ons. Just 
undisputably. Uh, a lot of people say that those are kind of the only add-ons you should run on him. I disagree. I think some more of his add-ons are good and usable, even if they do fall short to his range add-ons, since that extra meter or two can really make or break a chase sometimes, you know? Um I think the add-ons like Dead Butterfly, Forgotten Videotape, and the Valtiel Sect Photograph are really good. Since I use my power a lot in chases, I find myself running out of juice, if you will, for the power. So that extra recharge speed helps a lot. Uh, same reasoning could be said for his power duration add-ons, which are Copper Ring, Spearhead, and Tablet of the Oppressor. A- anything from those you know, nine add-ons, I would say... You can use. I I would recommend them. They're, you know, they're they're good. They give you a consistent benefit throughout the entire match. Uh, most of them are fairly cheap too. I mean, it's it can be kind of hard to replace green add-ons every match if you're running those every match, but you still have the browns and the yellows to make up for that. Um, thankfully, since Pyramid Head's base kit is so insanely strong in the right hands that he doesn't need them, but I understand that that extra boost sometimes is really nice to have. Uh, When it comes to add-ons to avoid, uh, surprisingly, I still see a lot of people run these a lot in game, and I don't understand why. So there are some add-ons that increase the duration for how long trails stay in the environment. In my opinion, these are entirely pointless. Uh, So how trails work in the base game is there's a 100 chunk, let's just call them chunks, that are limited in the trial. You can only have 100 of them at any given time. They last for 75 seconds. Now, 100 sounds like a lot until you realize that a single chunk is tiny. I don't want to say it's about half a meter, maybe a meter at most. So it adds up really fast, especially if you're leaving long, winding trails everywhere. Because once you hit that 100 chunk limit, it just starts recycling the oldest in in the trial. They they fade away. They go away. Uh, so I, I don't recommend those. I think 75 seconds is more than enough time for trails to last in the environment, and especially since you only have so many of those little pieces of goo to work with you definitely have to learn how to manage those and i think those add-ons kind of instill a bad mentality into people to where they think all right since these are going to last for such a long time i should just start throwing these everywhere because i want to get as many torments off as i can i just don't think it's good for you as a player or your mentality as a player especially since what they do realistically is insanely little given the limitations of his kit uh, outside of those, the Killer Instinct add-ons, not great. Uh, I think his base kit Killer Instinct is fine. You can kind of run his Killer Instinct add-ons if you just want like kind of poor man's aura reading, but you have to account for the fact that they lag slightly behind survivors. So unless you're able to reliably account for that, I wouldn't recommend running them. Uh, his status effect add-ons are also really abysmal. You know, you have one, I think it's Crimson Ceremony book, where it inflicts hemorrhage on uh, survivors that are tormented. And you have to keep in mind that when Pyramid Head first came out, hemorrhage hadn't been reworked yet. So it was literally just a purple add-on that made people bleed more. 
I can kind of see more of a value out of it now since Hemorrhage got reworked those couple patches ago to where healing progress regresses over time. I can kind of see a use for that. But even then with the other add-ons like Lost Memory Books, no one's going to care about Oblivious for 15 seconds. It's completely pointless. They're, they're just not worth running when things like Burning Man Painting exist, which are so much cheaper and easier to get which means you can reliably run them more matches on top of the fact that it's just a better add-on. I really wish that he would get an add-on pass of some kind because his his purples and his iridescent add-ons are they're so bad. They are so unexcusably bad. It's, it's like um Obsidian Goblet is it's funny. It's a neat little gimmicky add-on. You know, you stand on the trail, you gained undetectable. It's it's funny. Like I'm not going to say that it's not amusing to pull off plays with that add-on, but at the same time, it really should not be an iridescent. And I think the same goes for iridescent seal of Metatron. Um, at launch, iridescent seal of Metatron actually did have a use, to where if you caged a survivor, you would see the aura of the survivor in that cage, and you would know exactly where they were. Uh, Behavior patched that to where that isn't something that happens anymore with that add-on. So nowadays there's really just not a reason to run it since it is very rare that you will have multiple people tormented at any given time. And even then the aura reading lasts for such a long, I mean, not long apologies for such a short period of time. It's just really not worth running at all. So here's a um, killer instinct add-on. One of them was that purple egg add-on, right? Yeah, that's Scarlet Egg. Scarlet Egg. That got um, very slightly buffed um, not too long ago, didn't it? Is it still not worth using over... Well, it's definitely not worth using over the um, the distance add-ons. Um, but is it somewhat viable versus like the, his power duration or his recharge speed add-ons? Or is it still just not worth taking? In my opinion, it's definitely better. Like, it got a number buff. It's It's still better because of that buff it got. But in my opinion, it's just really not worth it because since it is a purple add-on, you know, those add-ons of that rarity, since they are rare, they should be harder to get. And I think that the power boost you get out of it should reflect the rarity. I think very rare and iridescent add-on should be very strong. Um, Scarlet Egg is just not strong at all like i said before you can technically use it as a poor man's aura reading but at the same time i personally would rather have add-ons that i know are going to be consistent throughout the entire trial instead of something like scarlet egg which is by the way in this particular instance you have a better chance to pull this off but it's so inconsistent i'd rather just take the safer options such as recharge, duration, and range. When you mentioned a chunk as well, like 100 chunks in a match, and you said a chunk is very small, is like, would it make the size of a chunk basically if you put your knife in the ground to do your punishment of the damned and then not move? Like that little little patch of um, like metal that pokes out the ground, is that basically one chunk? Yes, that is functionally how it works. It's kind of hard to get like accurate visual representation of what one of these chunks looks like. 
because his powers sometimes you'll only see like a bit of barbed wire and maybe a little piece of metal sticking out other times you'll see like the full carved bit sticking out of the ground where you have the red jelly stuff and the barbed wire everywhere basically to have a general idea of what a chunk is you know you'd stick the sword in the ground walk forward a step take it out of the ground that is a chunk so essentially view the chunks as kind of every step you take while channeling rights and that really kind of puts it into perspective just how little of that resource do you actually have so you really have to figure out and balance how to properly play around that sort of restriction i'm not entirely sure why behavior added it i think it's a bit limited it might be game engine problems i wouldn't know i don't work for behavior and i'm not a game dev by any means but it is something that i think most pyramid heads should keep in mind so now that you've picked your perks and add-ons i want to move on to your strategy going into the game and your preferred maps that you like to load into so it's really important that you get the strategy right and having an idea based on what you see in the lobby whether the survivors are bringing in items what level they are or even if you just recognize someone. Do you change your strategy based on the perks and add-ons you're bringing into, and what maps do you prefer? Hmm. My strategy going into a match. Uh, well, honestly, it does kind of depend on my mood. Most of the time, since I'm playing in that more casual way with that casual build that I keep bringing up, you know, I, I'll have music playing in the background. Most most of the time when I'm sitting in a lobby queue, I'm actually alt-tabbed out of the game because I'm trying to figure out what music I want to play. I mean, not play. What music I want to listen to while I'm playing. And I'm, like, talking to my friends on Discord. You know, I'm, I'm looking at some stupid meme that's probably giving me a fair chuckle before I go into the trial. Uh, if I'm playing more serious, then definitely I'll pay more attention to what is in my lobby at any given time. It does kind of help that, especially recently, with things like the medkit nerf that happened, I want to say it was last patch, it was your last patch or the patch before that. Uh, most items in this game really don't affect Pyramid Head anymore. I know that I'd pay more attention to it back when keys were a massive problem a couple years ago because I, I would just flat out tunnel you out of the match if you brought a key back then. I hated playing against keys. I thought they were extremely boring. Um, prestige levels, it also kind of depends on my mood. If I just want a normal, casual, fun match and I load into a lobby and I see a bunch of like prestige 100 survivors, I'll, I'll probably dodge because I just want to play the game for fun most of the time. If, if I'm feeling you know more competitive than usual, and yeah, I'll swap to the serious build, and I'll, I'll test my luck against them. I want to see how I hold up against other players that definitely play the game more than I do sometimes. Uh, if I see like a friend of mine in the lobby, usually I'll bring streamers. You know, I'll try to do something fun, something gimmicky, so that after the match, I can kind of point and laugh at my friend. I've actually gotten um, a friend of mine, Caretaker, who has been on here before in a random public match on stream. And that was that was a lot of fun. That was a really fun match. It, it's always nice to see people you recognize in the lobby before you go into a trial. 
sometimes I'll play map offerings, although I don't particularly like map offerings. If I think a group is going to try to give me a bit of a, an issue during the match. Um, when it comes to items, like I said, Pyramid Head doesn't really care about them. No one brings maps. No one really brings keys anymore. So don't have to worry about those. I love flashlight users because usually flashlight users are in your face. They want interaction. They want chases. So I always like seeing flashlights. The only time I get nervous when it comes to items is if I see three or four toolboxes because that kind of gives me the impression that that group is focused more so on getting in and out instead of actually having a good time and having a bunch of interactivity between killers and survivors. Uh, when it comes to maps, that's kind of hard because there are so many different maps in this game nowadays, and my opinion of them is so drastically different depending on what killer I'm playing. Uh, for Pyramid Head, definitely like the smaller maps a lot if they have a lot of tight angles. Uh, getting into Meat Plan, I really like. Uh, is Pyramid Head. I like Midwitch. I like RPD. Uh, Coal Tower is, you know, the fan favorite by a lot of killer players for a really good reason. It's a very balanced map. It's small enough to where uh, it feels like you don't have to take eight years to journey across the map so you can protect gens fairly easily. Um, I definitely like the map a lot more if I can do something really cool with Punishment of the Damned. It's like I do like Azakrov maps because of that uh, that truck loop where it has the car on the side and the strong window. Um, since survivors are locked after falling, I can trick people into taking that vault, and I'll just move down the stairs and I'll hit them with Punishment of the Damned while they're caught in that sort of stun animation. So any, any map that has a lot of tiles where I can do really cool trick shots like that, I definitely really like them a lot more as compared to maps where I don't get a lot of interesting stuff to use my power with, like Dead Dog Saloon. I don't like Dead Dog Saloon. I never have, probably never will. Uh, but generally speaking, I think when it comes to most of the maps in this game, I'm at least kind of impartial to most of them. Like there's There's some cool things I can do here and there, but most of the time when I load into the map, I'm like, ah, it's a Dead by Daylight map, you know? Map design is kind of one of the lower points of this game by far, and I think it really shows in a lot of the maps that we have in the roster. So you said about running a map offering if you think a group of survivors might cause, well, might give you a bit of a, a run for your money. Do you ever just maybe uh, run a sacrificial ward in case you think a group might run a map offering of themselves as well? I collect sacrificial wards, and I hoard those things like candy. If I think a survivor group is going to play a map offering, I'm going to play that sacrificial ward. I have let survivors go because they have played a sacrificial ward. I think the people that play sacrificial wards are probably some of the biggest chads in this game, to be honest. Because, yeah, if I, if I see someone play a sacrificial ward, I'm like, ah, someone that hates the maps as much as I do, you're cool, you can go. It's, it's definitely really fun to see... Uh, that I'm, I'm not alone when it comes to how, uh, how much I think map offerings are kind of bad for the game's health. I think it's really unfair that either side can kind of play for a map that gives them such, such a drastic advantage at the start of the match, regardless of the other group. It's like, um, I, I hate loading into something like a dead dog offering or a Haddonfield offering. 
because most of the time I just want well, I just want to have a fun chase, a good time, and loading into a match with one of those maps that I just distinctly do not like playing on it definitely kind of kills the mood for me a lot of the time. So yeah, I'll play sacrificial wards, and I love when other people play sacrificial wards. So when you're going into a match, you've got to assess your strategy based on the perks, your add-ons, the map that you load into, and the survivors you are likely to face. Because let's let's face it, loads of different survivors will play sort of differently to one another. You won't get too many survivors that play the same. Um, so let's talk about your playstyle. Do you opt to change your playstyle based on how the survivors are playing? Or do you just play like you've got some kind of one-trick routine or strategy? It's It kind of fits a little bit of both, if I'm being honest. Um, generally speaking, when I first load into the match, I kind of go in with that sort of one-trick strategy. I go in, I'm like, all right, I want to have some fun chases. Let's let's get 12 hooks. You know, Let's have some fun. Let's have some chase, some good chases. Let's have a bunch of interactivity between both sides. Because, you know, we're here to play the video game, you know? So the more that each side gets to play, generally the more fun that it is for both sides. If I get a lot of really good chases with really good hits, I'm having a good time. If the survivors that I'm playing against are, you know, they're they're running around and they're seeing all these hits I'm pulling off and they're getting all these like really close razor's edge dodges on me, they're having fun too because they're like, Wow, that was really close. I almost went down there. This is a lot of fun. Let's keep doing this. Um, and I, I've actually let quite a few groups go if they're just really, really fun to chase. So I, I definitely take a more casual standpoint to most of my matches because I it, it's a video game. You know, we we all want to have fun at the end of the day. Uh, if I load into a match and I'm noticing that the other group is being a kind of sweaty, kind of tryhardy, I definitely swap up my play style a little bit. Uh, generally speaking, the only thing I won't ever change about my play style is zoning. I refuse to zone. I hate zoning entirely. I think it's really boring and it just isn't rewarding or fulfilling at all for me. But like, if, if I get my first down and two or three gens pop, I'm definitely going to play a lot more uh, campy, a lot more tunnely. Just because at that point, there's kind of that pressure on me that I need to kind of pick up the pace in order to keep up with the others. Uh, outside of that, generally, my play style, not counting the whole 12 hook strategy, is as a killer player, I understand that I am a very, very, very aggressive player. Like I've said multiple times, the chase is my favorite part of the game. And I've kind of learned, especially through Pyramid Head, that one of the best ways to kind of play killer in this game is unwarranted aggression. Just be as aggressive as possible all the time. Because it not, not only does it tie into chases, it also can really set the tone of the match for the other side. You know, if you have people that are constantly needing to be healed, constantly needing to save other people, gens are just not getting done. So you can have your stall perks to kind of stall out the game, and in many instances, you do kind of need those stall perks to get to that point. But if you are just at a point where you are just bouncing from person to person, downing and hooking people all the time, it definitely can lead into a really massive snowball effect 
which absolutely can allow a player to completely steamroll over a group. So, you know, it, it just kind of plays into the psychology of how a match can go. You know, if you're a survivor and you see that everyone is injured, you have one person who's hooked, another person just went down, the stress of that match goes up for you and everyone else on the survivor side, and that stress causes people to make more mistakes. And when you're stuck in that sort of catch-up mode where the killer is constantly whittling away health and hook states, that that can lead to even more mistakes, mistakes which just makes the match go by even faster for the killer player. Uh, you know, a really good start of a match for me can result in a complete stop because the other side is just stuck in catch-up mode and they can't keep up. As long as I don't make some terrible misplay or mistake later myself, of course. And that's worked really, really well for me over the um, past couple of years that I've played the game. I, I generally don't like playing scummy, but I will do it and can do it if you know they're just hammering out gens and not letting me get that initial foothold. But uh, outside of that, no, it's I'm really just focused on getting my 12 hooks and being absolutely, completely aggressive. Just as aggressive as I can be in a chase and in a game. Totems in the early days of DBD were only really used with killers, and they were very strong. Over the years, they got changed a lot to help the balance of the game. And in 2021, boon totems were introduced for survivors, and this really changed the game. And in my opinion made the playing field a bit more even, especially now that Circle of Healing has got a massive nerf, but it's still very strong. So we want to know your thoughts on totems, and more specifically, totem spawns. Are they in a good place, or do you think more changes are needed? Oh, totems. That's a, that's a big topic in the community. It has been ever since they were added with HAG. Um, not to sound like an armchair dev or anything, but... I think that totems are just so insanely complicated as a design decision on behavior's part. You know, because before we had boons, we had the hexes. But in my opinion, most of the hex totems were honestly always kind of bad. You know, how often do you see Hunter's Lullaby? You, you don't. You just don't see it. There was a period of time where it was run on, you know, the skill check doctor builds because uh, it affected madness skill checks. But that, that was changed years ago, and it, it hasn't come back since. Uh, so outside of certain niche scenarios, most hex perks like, you know, um, Huntress Lullaby, Third Seal, Crowd Control, e even if the effects of the perks themselves are strong, you really just don't see them all that much. And that also kind of goes towards boons as well. Like, boons don't have the same problem as hexes where, you know, you bring a hex, if it's broken, it's gone forever. It's not coming back for that trial. Whereas with the boon, you can reboon the same totem multiple times. Uh, but we really only see Circle of Healing. You very rarely see Shadow Step, which is, I think, is surprising. Shadow Step on some maps is absolutely insanely strong, it, but it's just so map dependent. And the same goes for the other boons. Exponential is—it's a strong effect by by far. You know, being able to pick yourself up, give everyone essentially unbreakable as long as they're in that boon—that is a very strong effect. But it's so niche, you never see it. Shame goes for Dark Theory, which is that Yoichi perk that you know makes survivors run 
one or two percent faster while they're looping in the boon range. Again, that's a really strong effect. But the problem is because boons only work in a limited range, you never see it. Um, and I think that really just kind of plays into the problems with totem perks as, as a whole. We either have things like old hex ruin, where it is so oppressingly strong, no one likes playing against it. Because e even before Ruin got its first rework, where it was turned into the you know the auto regress gens at two hundred percent, where it was just survivors that hit skill checks regressed to the gen by five percent. E even then, although that version of Ruin was still technically kind of lackluster, if we're being honest, it was still an insanely strong effect to have. Because it was passive slowdown that you effectively didn't need to do anything to gain. When it was changed to the 200% regression, when you get near a generator, you know, nah, then it was also really strong because you could push people off gens and cause gens to regress without kicking a gen, which is a huge time sink for killers. Uh, nowadays, you know, Ruin got that, that big uh, nerf during the meta shakeup, and we don't see Ruin anymore. I mean, you'll see it occasionally, but we don't see it at all. Nowadays, we see more Devour Hope. And part of me wonders if Devour Hope is going to kind of get that same treatment. But at, at the end of the day, I think that the main problem with totems is that they're either so strong, they're kind of overwhelming to deal with, or they're so weak that they're just not worth the effort. They're just not strong enough. And totem spots definitely kind of play into that. Because even if you had like Either version of Old Ruin, if it spawned on top of a hill, you can kiss that totem goodbye. It, it's not staying in the trial for very long. And I do think spots like that definitely need to go. However, there is just a certain period of time where you just kind of have to accept that uh, totem spawns are always going to be something that is a bit of a problem. There's always going to be people in the community. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. There's always going to be people in the community that memorize those totem spots. It's like, um, I have a friend in our Survivor Friends group. He's an absolute totem gremlin. Uh, he, he's pretty much memorized the spawn logic for totems on almost every map. And if a killer has a hex perk, they're not going to have it for very long. Uh, it's That's always going to be part of the game. And I think that's just kind of a necessary evil that comes with... Uh, you know, having both hexes and boons. I, I think I would personally rather have it to where, you know, we fix some of the totem spots and we make all hex perks and boon perks kind of in line with each other, but they both kind of operate under that one and done mentality where once it's gone, it's gone and it's not coming back. That's just how I see it anyways. So having played the Executioner a lot, you must have had some really great and memorable memorable matches, whether it's been against high-profile players, competitive teams, or maybe even some recognizable content creators, or maybe just some really insane downs or extraordinary clutch moments. Do you think you could share some of these with us? Yeah, yeah, I can. Uh, like I said before, I definitely try to go for a lot of really cool shots. So, you know, I have a folder on my PC that's just packed to the brim with all of these like really insanely difficult shots to pull off. You know, I, I've learned how to 
do these things at certain tiles that I don't see a lot of other pyramid heads do. And it, it is a very big pride point for me, knowing that, you know, I, I'm able to get these clips and whatnot. Uh, I think my favorite, like, clip that I do have is, I want to say it was two years ago, where um, I was playing on one of the Yumoka maps. I'm pretty sure it was uh, the Shrine. Shrine of Wrath, and I went to the shack on one side of the map, and I saw a Nea, and she was being killed by I think it was a Claudette. And, you know, I fire punishment of the dam, I hit both of them. They panic, they both run into the shack, one takes the window, one goes to the pallet side. Uh, I continued my chase a little bit, and I fired my punishment of the dam again to down the Claudette, and then I hit Nea as well. So I got two double hits back to back, and that is by far Easily one of my favorite moments I've ever had while playing Pyramid Head. I, I've only gotten something like that once, and I understand that it is kind of astronomical to get something like that. Because not only was it two double hits back-to-back, it was two double hits on the same two survivors that I got. It was very, very nice to pull off. It Easily one of my favorite clips. Um when it comes to matches that are kind of down to the wire, there was a period of time where I was considering getting into competitive Dead by Daylight because a lot of people around me, they would watch me play Pyramid Head and they were like, you should try Comp DVD. You might really like it. And, you know, I, I got around to it. I was like, you know what? I'll try it. If I don't like it, you know, I don't like it. I ended up not liking it, unfortunately. But I did get a few really good uh, competitive scrim matches in. Uh, one of my favorites was one that was on Father Campbell's Chapel. Really, really close match. It was absolutely, completely came down to the wire. Like, there were seconds left in the EGC. I just barely managed to secure my last kill because I downed the last person in the exit gate and grabbed them right before they um, they were able to get out. And it was, it was so intense. I can't even stress enough how intense that match was. I don't even think I could put it into words how kind of nerve-wracking that entire match was. It was so, so vastly fun. That complete back and forth between me and that competitive team uh, definitely is something that you know is very, very rare. It's not often you get matches like that, but when you do, they, they stick out a lot, and they're definitely one of the reasons why I love the game as much as I do because good back and forth like that are so insanely fun. I just wish that they were more common. Uh, unfortunately, haven't gone against any big content creators yet. I know eventually I'll probably stumble into one of their lobbies one day or another. You know, I meet a fair amount of Twitch streamers. Most of them are small. A lot of them are, you know, really cool, really chill. I, I've ended up following quite a few small time streamers on Twitch just because I, I thought that they were fun or I liked their personality or whatnot. Um, I, I would love to go against a big time streamer like Otstarva or Scott Jund just because I think it would be a lot of fun. And, you know, ideally I would, I would love to talk to Otz about Pyramid Head. Uh, what, what I would uh, do to balance out Pyramid Head to make it more fun for the game. I'd love to be able to talk to one of those big content creators about that. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm only a little guy in the community in the grand scheme of things, so I'm not holding my breath on that. Having played the killer that you main, you must have learned a thing or two that you can share with us. 
So what advice would you give to new players or even your past self? The best advice that I can give when it comes to Dead by Daylight, and this kind of extends to everyone, not just new players, like even if you're several thousand hours into the game, I really think the best advice that I can give is just don't take the game too seriously. It's a video game. Just try to have fun with it, you know? Uh, at the end of the day, you know, we have a long day at work, we come home, we sit down in front of our computers or our console, we boot up Dead by Daylight, we just want to have a good time. And, you know, you're always going to have, you know, the people that do want to take it super seriously because they're hyper competitive. And that's fine. You know, it's completely understandable. You bought the game with your own money, play it how you want, you know. But I, I definitely do think that the community as a whole could really, really benefit from not putting a bunch of their self self-worth onto winning a match of dead by daylight you know um when it comes to specifically pyramid head uh, and this is especially for you know new pyramid head players uh don't get discouraged from his power it's a very difficult power to use uh punishment of the dam can feel really awful if you miss multiple of them back to back it can feel a bit clunky at times and he takes a lot of practice he's a very mechanically and physically demanding killer to to learn and to play and that leads to a lot of pyramid heads feeling like his power is only good for those animation locked hits and it's that that's not you know true that you can use his power in so many interesting unique and fun ways and i really would love to see more pyramid heads go out there and try to do more interesting and cool things with this power so uh, it's really just practice. Practice makes perfect. Don't get discouraged from, um, you know, losing that chase. It happens to everyone. I mean, I've played Pyramid Head for what three years at this point because he's been out for almost three years. Seventh anniversary is right around the corner, and you know, I still have my matches where I miss a ton of Pyramid Pyramid Head attacks. It feels bad. It feels awful. You know, but I, I know that I'm just having a bad game. It's just a bad match. I've mained them for years. I'll continue having bad matches. It's just part of the experience. So just, you know, if you fall off the horse, just get back on that horse, you know? So I want to talk a little bit about tiles and more specifically your favorite tile, whether it's the jungle gym, the LT wall, the long wall, the killer shack, or maybe even just the main building of whatever map you happen to be on. Uh, what's your favorite tile and why? That's that's a really tough choice, uh, actually, because while I do dislike a, a good chunk of the maps in this game, like I said, that I absolutely hated Dead Dog, um, for the most part, I think the generic tiles are actually absolutely fine. And I, I'm probably kind of biased because, you know, my power is one of the ones that goes through walls, so it's not like I really care about most of the uh, the tiles in this game anyways. I If you're standing in that tile, there's a good chance I'm just going to hit you through it. Um, I honestly can't say that I really have a favorite, but I definitely do have, you know, the, those certain tiles uh, that do give me that little feeling of um, happiness when I do see a survivor running to them. It's like, uh, you know, the gazebo tiles on the Yamoka maps, right? Uh-huh. Uh, pagodas or whatever they're called. Yeah, the, the, those tiles. If... 
you are Pyramid Head and you stand on the opposite side of that window and you plant your sword in the ground and a survivor is standing inside the gazebo, you can hit that survivor. I, I don't know why you can hit them through there, but if you are standing by that window, you can actually hit survivors standing inside the gazebo. It, it is such a cool little trick. And I've only ever seen one other Pyramid Head player go for it in my entire time of playing Dead by Daylight. And I don't even think he knew about it. So there are definitely, you know, some bias when it comes to my opinion on tiles. If there is a tile that has a cool, neat little trick like that, I'm going to like that tile. It's just simple. I, I love going for those little trick shots because they're just part of what makes the killer so much fun for me. So it there, there's a lot of tiles like that in the game. Um, it, we would be here for a really long time if I went through and I listed all of them. But, you know, there's stuff like the Yumoka Gazebo, the bus tile on Azakrovs, um, any sort of drop-down shot that I can get. Really nice. I, I love playing around the, um, uh, what's it called? It's that, like, crane machine on Autohaven. There's a lot of cool shots I can get on that tile as well. It it really just boils down to, can I do something cool in this tile? And if I can, I generally like the tile a lot. Generator speeds have always been an issue for killers, and in recent times they've gotten a lot better with perks and changes to the time it takes for a generator to complete. But with that being said, it's hard for the devs to balance out the game based on some killers being stronger than others. But what are your thoughts? In my eyes, generator speeds, uh, they're always going to be this extremely difficult thing to balance. If gens take too long to complete, then the game just isn't fun for Survivor. But if the generators are too short, then killers aren't happy either because then, you know, the game's over so insanely fast and they don't get to play the game either. You know, nobody enjoys having that good first chase and then seeing multiple gens pop. The same way no one likes seeing the gen that you just spent, you know, the past couple minutes working on get hit with the regression perk for the third time because, you know, the meg head on your team won't stop going down. Um, maybe a bit of a hot take for me, but I honestly wish that Dead by Daylight would kind of get rid of generators entirely. Uh, the objective for survivors is sitting in one spot holding a button and occasionally tapping a different button to hit a skill check. It's not fun. It's just not. I think the survivor objective is insanely boring in this game. Uh, I have never met anyone that unironically enjoys being a gen jockey, and uh, I don't think any killer enjoys the gens just flying by either. You know, uh, like I said, chase is my favorite part of the game. I think it's the meat and the substance of the gameplay. It is the main thing that people enjoy in this game. Everybody loves a really good back and forth chase. Uh, like, imagine for a moment a game mode in Dead by Daylight where survivors are on some sort of timer and the killer just runs around trying to chase them down, whittle down resources, and survivors have to survive for as long as possible. A game mode that is entirely focused on uh, forcing survivors to be able to run a killer and a killer being required to be good at winning their chases. I have no idea what like an objective for survivors would be if they're not being chased in a game mode like that. Maybe like running items from one place to another in something that's kind of like what Resident Evil does. Uh, I don't know. It's just an idea. But I think it would, if done well, it would make Dead by Daylight way more fun and engaging for both sides. 
But, you know, there is the elephant in the room that, you know, it is really hard to balance a game above four objectives and killers because some killers are just objectively better than others. Uh, like you said, some killers are just stronger. And that's always going to be the case. No matter how balanced the game is, there's always going to be a tier list of sorts to the killer roster. Uh, some killers just have a better kit than others, you know? And some people will always play the things at the top of that list just because it's the strongest thing in the game. Um, if I had it my way, I would try to shorten that gap between the the roster significantly. There, There's no reason there should be this massive power gap between killers like Nurse and Blight when compared to killers like Sadako or Pig or Myers, all, all killers that are considered relatively low by the community. You know, certain killers do have certain kits that need more than just nerfs and buffs to kind of shorten that gap. You know, killers like Twins, Skull Merchant, Artist, Knight, uh, those are definitely closer to needing full reworks because of how they're designed. But at that point, then you go into another problem where uh, when redesigning a killer, you might have a Freddy situation because no matter what the power is, you're always going to have people that like a certain power. I mean, going back to Freddy, I loved Freddy before he got his rework. I thought old Freddy was one of the most fun kits in the game at the time. Uh, I loved how he played, loved how he felt. I don't understand why people thought he was bad at all. Um, and when he got his rework, um, he completely removed a lot of the old things that Freddy had. And so ideally a rework not only has to kind of make a killer better and more healthier for the game, it also has to be faithful enough to the original design to keep those old fans of that killer, which is insanely hard to do from a game balance perspective. And personally, if I had it my way, I'd just make it an add-on for the reworked killers. So if we had another instance where it was a killer like Freddy that absolutely needed a full rework, well, needed in quotations, where uh, if you were a fan of the old kit, you could just play that add-on and then just play old Freddy or old insert reworked killer there. But that's just my opinion on the matter. Overall, I think the balance of this game is very, very hard. I think behavior makes a lot of mistakes, and I think a lot of people have a very, very skewed idea of what the balance of this game is like, because if you change one thing it affects every other aspect of this game, essentially. And I wish more people kind of accepted that. You can't change one thing in Dead by Daylight without affecting a different part of the game. So MMR has been something that Behaviour have put in to help make matches fairer for everyone with everyone's individual um, skill level trying to be as close to each other as possible. There's been loads of different opinions in this matter ranging from, oh, they never should have put it in the game in the first place to it's been a good change to my matches as I'm not getting as many cracked survivors juicing me for five whole gems and even some in-between reactions thinking the uh, the intentions were good. It's just a rather primitive way of measuring it versus with it being just kills versus escapes depending on what side you're on. So tell us from your own experience, your thoughts on MMR and how it's affected your games with the Executioner. In my opinion, I I kind of believe that MMR was in many ways a mistake. Um, after MM, yeah, after MMR was added, I noticed that my games got noticeably more tryhardy, a lot sweatier, and they've kind of remained that way ever since. 
there's always going to be that group of people that want to try hard and bring the best of the best to every match, no matter what. And when you throw something like MMR into the mix, you just kind of make the overall experience less fun, in my opinion, because all of a sudden now there's that incentive to kind of sweat, you know, it's not just a win anymore. It's not just, oh, I won that match. It's you have to win and then keep winning in order to build up that MMR to play against the quote unquote best of the best. And then you have to win against those people as well, because then you can brag about it, you know? Uh, all, all MMR really did, in my eyes, is just give uh, another reason for people to get hyperinflated egos in this game. Uh, how often do you see people in the community try to argue their points with personal experience? Like, oh, I don't, I don't think insert this here is a problem because I, I'm a high MMR killer main. You don't know what you're talking about. And that is kind of part of a problem with the community less than the actual game itself. But it does kind of feed into that mentality, and I think more people kind of need to recognize that as a legitimate problem that MMR did bring to the community. Um, I, I do think part of it was necessary, however. Like, I have over 3,000 hours in the game. I, I've been playing since 2016, like I said before. I shouldn't be matched with players that started a week ago. Yeah, I think that's probably the worst part about MMR as a whole, is that when it works, you know, it works, and it's fine. It's whatever. Even setting aside the whole problem I have with the mentality that I think it brings into the game. Um, but when it doesn't work, it's terrible. It's awful. And in my personal experience, it doesn't work a lot of the time. I still get matched up with players that who at most have a couple hundred hours. It's like a couple months ago, I remember a match I had or ran into a four-man survive with friends, and they, they were all friends. They were all on each other's Steam list and whatnot. The highest hour count in that group was 200. Everyone else was under 100 hours. There was literally no reason the game should have looked at those guys and decided to put them in a match with me. And it's not like I can even argue that, oh, well, maybe it was because it was a killer I never played. No, I was playing Nemesis. And Nemesis is a killer I play almost every single time I log on to Dead by Daylight. You know, he's one of my mains. I pour a ton of time and care into him. It's, I should not have gotten those guys. There's no reason I should have gotten those guys. And I, I remember after the match, because I was wondering what happened, because of how they were playing. It was like, these, these aren't players on my skill level. These are very clearly new players. And, you know, I looked at the profiles and I talked to them and they're just like, we just want to have a fun party night, you know, with our friends. Why are we getting matched up against killers with 3000 hours? Cause I wasn't the only killer that night that had way more time in the game that they had gotten matched up with. I was like the fourth or fifth killer. So all in all, I just, I, I can't find a reason to, except MMR in the game. I don't think it has um, a really good place in the game at all. Uh, I really wish that there was some sort of magical fix to it to make it to where it did work and we did get fair and balanced matches. But at the end of the day, I, I think it's more so a detriment than to the benefit of the game, or at least going off from my personal experience with it. They probably could have done a better job with that. The sort of the hidden scoring system itself, because as as mentioned, escapes versus kills, it's very easy to manipulate your own score then and just 
purposefully tank your own killer MMR by just two hooking everyone and then AFKing in a corner somewhere or finishing the round off with a farm session. And then you're just going to go over time against less and less experienced survivors. So I definitely think that I'd probably like MMR a lot more if it had been implemented correctly. Uh, I do remember somewhat recently that they had changed it to where if a survivor runs a killer for most of the match and they die at the end of the game because they got camped out or whatever, that uh, they uh, don't lose MMR like they used to. So behavior is definitely taking some steps to improve it. Um, They're taking them a little bit too slowly for my liking, if you want my opinion on it. Uh, But I could maybe see it working in couple more years from now if dead by daylight's even around by then but as it stands right now i i just i can't really see myself liking it the there's definitely room for improvement i think it could work given enough time it's just a matter of we have to wait for behavior to actually do something about it you know i don't see how it could be so difficult where they could um calculate say an mmr score at the end of the game based on your your score, you got four categories in the game, with uh, each with their own score value. You got like bronze, silver, gold, iri, uh ratings for like um, what are the categories for killer? Brutality. Um, this, um, oh, what is? I'm drawing blanks now. You know what I mean, don't you? On the score screen, the four categories. Yeah, just just those. Like you get um, four different categories, and the better you do, and the better emblem you get for each one, the more MMR you get. So that way, if you do to hook everyone and they get out because you've had a normal game but you've spread the pressure evenly you played fair you still somewhat get a score up in in one category or the other rather than just killers versus escapes i mean the system's been there the whole time i wonder if they can just use that yeah it's definitely really interesting to see how dead by daylight has kind of come full circle when it handles ranks because originally ranking up like back in 2016 was a complete pain I didn't even really fully understand how the original uh, ranking system worked. Probably because I didn't really fully play it at the time. I just kind of played it every now and then. And um, there there was a time when they reworked it and we got something called the Kill Cube. And that was where it was focused on kills versus escapes to figure out if you were going to rank up or not. And we had that for a while until we got the Emblem system. And then the Emblem system you know, tracked how you did in each score event. And then that determined how you ranked up. And now that we have MMR, we've gone back to the kill versus escape system, which is so weird to me. It's definitely very odd how behavior is kind of taken one step forward, but two steps back, I want to say. So going against the very killer that you main can be quite the experience. Uh, being a main for that particular killer, you've got a better insight than most people about what they can and can't do, the add-ons that they might be using, and just just knowing their limits in general. Uh, when you're playing against um, Pyramid Head as a survivor, do you enjoy going against him? No. No, I don't. Um, I I really don't. In fact, Pyramid Head is probably by far one of my most hated killers to go against. Uh, most Pyramid Heads I run into, really heavy on the zoning, really heavy on the tunneling. N- not exactly the most riveting and exciting gameplay out there, you know? There, there are just so many times where I face the Pyramid Head with my survivor, with friend group, and the entire match is just me begging them to actually use their power instead of mindlessly zoning. 
like uh, I'll be looping them and, and the entire group will just hear me go, please use your power. Please use your power. Please use your power. You could have hit me there. Why didn't you use your power? And, you know, the pyramid heads that focus on his M2 a lot, like how I play them, are just really rare. I've met a few of them and those players are really, really fun. But generally speaking, most of the time, it hurts my soul a lot to see other people play them. Because, like you said, I have a better insight because I made him on what he can do and uh, the limits of what he can do. And for most players that play him, I don't see anyone really try to test those limits at all. It's just zone tunnel, zone tunnel, zone tunnel, zone tunnel. And at that point, you know, why are you playing Pyramid Head? You can do that with any killer. At that point, it feels like I'm just playing against a trapper that has a skin on. It's um, it's really disappointing. I, I wish more people would play them in the fun way. DVD has gone through many changes from balancing to perk changes to, to complete readjustment of some killers. Do you think the devs are doing a good job with the current state of DVD? Do you think they need to do more, or are you happy with the current state of the game? Oh, happy with the current state of Dead by Daylight. Oh, if you had asked me that during Wesker's release, I probably would have said yes. But after Night and Skull Merchant, I can't say that I am. I think when it comes to things like perk balance, DVD right now is pretty good. You know, we just got a dead hard nerf. Uh, Circle of Healing got that nerf. I don't think Circle of Healing really needed that nerf, but um. <clears throat> It is still something that they did do. Uh, the three gen meta, you know, just got that massive nerf. Uh, Call of Brian and Overcharge aren't really seen as much anymore. Eruption was the scourge of everyone's existence for a couple months. You know, that got changed. I think perk balance wise, Dead by Daylight's doing really, really well. But um, <clears throat> mo most of the balance issues with this game, in my opinion, come from the awful map design. Uh, the map design in this game is just unapologetically terrible on a lot of levels. Yeah, how, how often do you see people like, oh, I love the Garden of Joy main building? You don't. You don't see it because that building is awful. And uh, I think if Behavior took the time to really sit down and figure out why people hate so many maps in the game and went out of their way to fix them, the game would be a lot healthier. Uh, outside of map design, I really think the only other problem I have with DVD right now is just that the last couple of chapters have been really, really lackluster. I I think overall, since you know we're at the tail end of year six, we're about to start year seven. Uh, Wesker and Dredge, amazing. I love both of those killers. I think they're really fun. I think Dredge is by far one of the most artistically unique killers in this game, if not the most artistically unique. I think both of their powers are fun and creative and fun to play against, fun to play as. And then we got Knight and Skull Merchant for the last half of the year, and I honestly feel like they're some of the worst design killers we've ever gotten, especially Skull Merchant. You know, I feel like a lot of things about her are a train wreck from her physical design to how she plays and how she is played against. Uh, so overall, kind of 50-50. I think Behavior is doing a lot of good things right now, but at the same time, I think they're also kind of fumbling the ball a bit. And I really hope that the anniversary chapter kind of picks itself and the rest of the game off the ground because we, def we definitely need some exciting new content that the community is willing to get excited about and want to play the game again over. So firstly, let's go over hooks versus cages. There are perks on both survivor side and the killer side that work for when people are hooked and when people are unhooked. 
if someone's already tormented and able to be caged when you down them would it be best to send them to cages if you don't happen to have any perks that require hooking a survivor to work or would you just cage them nice and quick each time it really kind of depends on the situation in the trial, uh, what's going on around you at any given time. There is, there is no distinct best way to uh, use his cages, you know? Um, most of the community kind of regards cages as just being a tunneling tool, and that makes a lot of sense why a lot of people would think that and say that, because survivors don't get any of their unhooking perks. They don't get off the record. They don't get decisive strike. I mean, they don't even get the base kit BT. Base kit BT doesn't affect cages at all. You can just down someone right off the cage without having to wait that out. They they don't even get the haste status effect for being uncaged. Uh, but I think that cages are also an incredibly useful time saver tool. Uh, most people don't realize just how much of a time sink it is to hook survivors. You have to you have to down someone. You have to wait out that power or weapon wipe animation, which takes a few seconds. And you have to pick them up, which roots you in place and takes a few more seconds. Then you have to carry them to a hook, which slows you down and also takes a couple more seconds. Unless you're running agitation, but even then, you know, there's still a decent time sink in there. It's a decent chunk of time to hook a survivor, especially since, you know, it's just so many little things that kind of stack up over a period of time between the picking up and the weapon wipe and the carrying and the actual hooking itself, those seconds really add up. And as a killer, um, the time really is everything. And spending so much of your time just trying to do your objective when you've technically already done it by winning that chase definitely stacks up incredibly fast. It's probably why there are some people out there that just don't hook until four people are slugged just because they understand that um, the hooking just takes so much time. And cages just completely ignore that aspect of the game. If they're tormented and you down them, just press a button, single animation, takes one or two seconds, done. You got your hook state. Um, you don't have to worry about them. They're across the map. Someone has to go rescue them and heal them. So you furthered your objective, you did it instantly, and you could just instantly get right back into guarding your gens or starting your next chase. Cages save so, so much time, and I really wish people would kind of understand that. They are still really effective tunneling tools, because you can hook a tormented survivor and then immediately cage them after they get saved. But I much prefer the time-saving aspect of them, and that kind of plays into why I love Infectious so much on him. Because knowing someone is nearby, I can grab that hook state instantly and then immediately work on getting... The that next hook state, you know? It's really nice. I definitely think it's the best thing you can do on Pyramid Head uh, is to kind of assess the situation and figure out what is best for you at any given moment. If you down someone and there's someone right by that's trying to go for a flashlight save, cage them. Cage them, chase the guy that has the flashlight. If you know, you're trying to hold a 3-gen and you down someone that's tormented, hook them. Uh, don't send them away because that means that you would have to leave your 3-gen to kind of you know, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of make do on that uh, that decision that you made. Kind of follow through with it. There we go. That was the phrase I was looking for. Um, and yeah, that is the best recommendation I can really give to people that are trying to play Pyramid Head. And unfortunately, that's not something you can teach because it really just has to boil down to you understanding the game state and what is the best thing to do at any given time instead of just defaulting to one method or the other. 
Although, to be honest, for me, I know all of this stuff, but I don't really follow through with it because I don't take the game seriously at all. I always cage people just because I think the noise is funny. So maybe I'm not the best person to ask about that. Landing and punishment of the dam can be the difference between a quick chase or a general two popping way too soon if you miss. Do you have any advice on how you can use his power in a more safely manner to reliable, reliably get the hit? The best advice that I can give regarding punishment of the damned is that patience is key. Patience is everything when it comes to his power. Uh, you know, people look at Pyramid Head and they see, oh, he's a ranged killer like Huntress, Nemesis, Deathslinger. You know, they have the ranged attacks and those killers are very, very flick heavy. You have to flick to aim properly to hit the survivor. Uh, Pyramid Head does not play like that at all. In fact, while you were channeling your rights, as I'm sure you know, you actually have a reduced sensitivity and turn rate. So the way that his power works in a chase is that it effectively turns into more of a waiting game instead of a reaction game. Uh, what uh, most people also don't realize is that if a survivor is standing directly in the middle of that attack, uh, the wave comes out so fast that they just physically can't dodge it. They're getting hit. They, they just don't have the time to get out of the way because of how fast that attack is. So the best thing you can do as Pyramid Head is just to wait for the perfect time to throw out that attack so they can't dodge it. It even works in open spaces, I've found. It takes a lot of practice, and you have to get the hang of it, because so often with other killers in this game, we're kind of reinforced in that mindset of um, <clears throat> we have to react to what the other person is doing. And in a sense, as Pyramid Head, you do still have that reactionary bit to it, because you need to understand how they're moving and where they're moving in order to reliably nail them with your attack. Um, it's like if you're out in the open and you're channeling rights, I found that zigzagging as I'm walking while channeling my power throws a lot of people off guard and lets me get cheeky hits I otherwise wouldn't have gotten. But generally, the best advice I can give is just be patient. You will not do very well if you're just sending out the attack constantly. You have to be patient about it and wait out for the perfect opportunity to throw out the attack your rights of judgment is the part of your power where you leave the goop or the jam or whatever else people would like to call that however just laying it down in high traffic areas of the map sometimes won't be enough because survivors can just crouch walk over the trench what would you say in your experience is the most reliable way to try and get survivors tormented I find using it at loops just gives the survivors time to run off and go and find another loop and then that process just keeps repeating itself Usually what I tend to do is I like leaving little bits of the goo in like grass under pallets next to windows as I'm controlling. Like since I use um, a lethal pursuer on my pyramid head, um, generally as I'm walking towards my first chase, I leave like little, little chunks hidden in grass or around certain loops that I know they might run to as I walk over there. Um, I definitely think that helps a lot. I don't think anyone should leave long winding trails because they're really easy to spot. But, you know, if you just tap your sword into the ground and leave a little little bit of barbed wire, most people aren't going to notice that in a chase, so they're more likely to run right into it. Um, it's like one of, one of the biggest mistakes I see uh, pyramid heads do is if they have someone hooked in basement, they'll just stick their sword in the ground and they'll draw this massive, like, art pattern, I want to call it, 
in the middle of shack they'll throw it everywhere it's in both entrances it's by the window it's it's just everywhere and it, it is such a massive waste um it, it's it's a waste of your time it's a waste of your limited chunk count don't recommend doing it instead what i think you should do is uh you can place a single line at the top of the basement stairs and not only does it accomplish the same thing you were effectively trying to do which is if as people are running out of the basement, they'll get tormented. It serves as a marker. So if you are playing Pyramid Head, you can fire Punishment of the Damned downstairs if you're standing in just the right spot. And that marker at the top of the basement stairs, if you stand right behind it, it serves as like a kind of line that you know you need to stand behind to fire down the basement stairs. So what I'll do is I'll hook someone in basement. I'll add that little line at the top of the stairs, and they'll stand behind that line as they're running up to me. I'll fire my punishment of the dam down the stairs. Usually it results in a double hit, and since at that point they just have the option to lose. Like they can either run into me, get tormented, and then I'm going to M1 down at least one of them, potentially both of them if I'm running save the best. And it's it's going completely turned around several matches for me by doing that just because of how deadly doing that is and i wish more pyramid heads kind of understood that we've recently had a meta shake-up with various perks being adjusted on both sides of the roster and a nerf to self-healing along with the most is along with the most recent one has this changed any significant changes in your loadout when they were live well um not not really. Uh, with the original meta shakeup that we had, that was the big one where 40, 40 perks got reworked and changed and buffed and moved around and whatnot. Uh, before that, I actually used to prefer Corrupt instead of Lethal because it allowed me to quickly set up my trails but, and survivors had to come to me to do their objective. Uh, then, you know, once I liked how my trails looked at the start of the trial, I'd instantly start chasing. But because of how fast my first down can be in a lot of my matches, uh, Corrupt essentially became a dead perk for me, on my Pyramid Head at least, after that. You know, there are some matches I I have after that change where Corrupt is gone in, in 30 seconds, and it, it's just not worth the perk slot anymore. Uh, so that that is honestly the biggest change that I've noticed in my builds. Um there was a period of time I, I did run Ruin just because I don't like kicking gens. So uh, I guess you could argue that that was a, another thing that suffered from the original meta shakeup. Although I didn't run Ruin a lot of the time because old Ruin was very, very strong. Um, but outside of those two things, not really. I've kind of always stuck to my infectious monitor and abuse combo and with shadowborn or save the best it's really just boils down to the fact that my usual build just isn't really that sweaty or try hardy at all i suppose um is there anything else that you want to say that we've not covered in any of these questions uh no i i feel like that pretty much covers it uh yeah it's, I, i'd say we're fairly good thanks for having me on i really appreciate the opportunity to talk about a killer like pyramid head because i'm so incredibly passionate about him and i think he's a really really underrated killer not many people give him the time of day and i really wish we had more good pyramid heads 
So, you know, uh, I've listened to the other podcasts before I came on here. So I, I learned a lot. I, I hope that this one was really informative for a lot of the people out there listening. I hope to see a, some more Pyramid Head players out in the trials, hopefully. But no, I, I feel like uh, we did a pretty good job. Yeah, well, thank you for joining us. We um, really delve deep into the execution of this time. So thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been lovely having you here, Pepper Pixel. Thanks for um, popping by. <laughs>